Okay, good morning. Welcome back to our Emuna support group, our Emuna Shear. We just just concluded the Chag HaEmuna. Just completed the holiday that is supposed to renew our sense of Emuna, the holiday of miracles and a holiday of faith. And it's supposed to charge us and energize us to carry us now forward into the rest of our year to live lives in which we see and feel Hashem's presence. And therefore we're calm and serene and all is okay. There's no reason to get angry or be envious or worry or be anxious because every time we're tempted to feel those feelings, we just remember Hashem took us out of Egypt and He'll take us out. He split the sea and carved the path. He'll split our sea and He'll carve away and uh, whatever will happen is for a reason. So we're going to uh, learn a new piece this week. I got a sefer called Be'emunaso Yichye, which are uh, Shiurim of Revolbe. We did uh, several pieces of Revolbe from Ale Shor. This is a different sefer based on uh, Shiurim he gave in Beis Musar and in the Mir and other places. I think some of them actually are from Ali Shor as well. Um, but this is a new piece called Olam Ha'emuna. This is the Vad Vav, the sixth Vad that he gave. We're on page Memtes in the sefer. And he says the following. The Mishnah in Avos, you know, there's a minag after uh, that we learn Pirkei Avos this time of the year. So the Mishnah in Mesechah Avos says, There are three qualities, three behaviors, three attitudes that if we live with them, they remove us from the world. Taiva, what's Taiva? Temptation. Kavod, seeking honor. And Kina is jealousy, envy. So a person who constantly is looking what other people have, and I want what they have. It could be I want what they have materially. I want that house. I want that car. I want those clothing. I want that jewelry. It could be I want what they have, a healthy marriage, a loving marriage, an affectionate marriage. I want children who give me nachas. I want, you know, there's a lot of envy that happens not only in the material world. So a person who's living their whole lives with an eye on the people around them and wanting what others have, they forfeited their world. A person who lives with taiva, meaning... They're never happy in life. Their mind is always racing or wandering or fantasizing about the next taiva. And people have all kinds of taivas. The taiva could be for unhealthy food. The taiva could be for unhealthy practices. Taiva could be to look at or do or say unhealthy things. Taiva could be for shopping and going in further credit card debt. The taiva could be for all kinds of things. But people who live never with any sense of satisfaction, never with what we spoke about in Pesach, an attitude of dayenu. Die. What I have is enough by definition. But a person never has dayenu in their life. It's never enough. They always need more. They forfeit their world. And the third thing is kavod. If you're always seeking honor, if you have such an ego, it gets bruised, that you get into fights and arguments, you need people to honor you, you need distinction, you need recognition, you always need to be the biggest person in the room, then you forfeited your place in this world. That's what the Mishnah says. By the way, how did our rabbis know that? How did they know that? Now, it's not difficult for us. We think about those three qualities and we see people who live with them and we see the types of lives that they lead. We understand it. But our rabbis knew it even more specifically from the Torah itself. They knew it because they simply opened the Chumash and they opened the Chumash and they started reading. And what did they read? They read the first stories of the Chumash, of the Torah. And they saw that these three character traits literally caused the destruction of worlds. Where did they see it? So, Kina is the story of Cain and Hevel. Why did Cain kill Hevel? Because he was jealous. Hevel's korban, Hevel's sacrifice was accepted, and Cain's was not. And Cain said, I'm not looking at my relationship with God, only me. I'm looking at it versus Hevel. And he was jealous. And because he was jealous, he killed Hevel. Next story is the generation of Noah. 
and HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides to destroy the world. And why does he destroy the world? Because the people had taiva. They were taking things that didn't belong to them. Other people's money, they were stealing. Hamas, Gezel. They were taking other people's wives. They were taking things that didn't belong to them because they were driven by taiva, by lust. And then you get to the story of Dor Ham, the uh, Dor HaFlaga, the generation who built the tower. They said, we'll make a skyscraper, we'll pierce to heavens, and we'll make a name for ourselves. Na'asa lanu shame. What did they want? Why were they driven to make the tallest tower to pierce the heavens? Because they, because they uh, were driven by covet. So what, how did the three stories in the Torah end? They end terribly. Kodesh Baruch Hu actually regrets creating the world. And in the case of the flood, actually recreates the world and starts it again. Does a hard reset on the world. So all Chazal, all our rabbis needed to do is start learning the Chumash. And when you start learning the Chumash from the beginning of Bereshis, this is Salam Rebbe writes this in the Siva Shalom. When you start reading the Chumash from Bereshis, you see, You forfeit your world, the world. What are the next three stories in the Torah? Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. So if there are three things that are three things that remove you from the world, what are the three things upon which the world stands? And what are they? Torah, Avoda, and Gemilas Chasadim. How did they know that, the rabbis? How did they know these are the three pillars? It's a three-legged stool that to be balanced, to have an equilibrium, to be healthy, for the world to have a future, you have to have these three things. How did they know that? They just kept reading the Chumash. And they got to Avraham, which is Chesed, and Yitzchak, which is Avoda, and Yaakov, which is Torah. And they said, Torah, Avoda, Gemilas Chasadim. So it, it is brilliance and insight of our rabbis, but our rabbis deduced it simply from reading the Chumash. So here's my question for you. So far we just read a Mishnah in Avos. But here's the question. What does it mean, What does it mean to be removed from the world? What does it mean to be removed from the world? We know a lot of people that live with jealousy, lust, and honor. They don't drop dead. They don't leave this world. In fact, many of them have success. They thrive. They cause us to wonder why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Sometimes these are good people doing bad things. So, what is Motsin Min Ha'adam Min Ha'olam? It removes a person Min Ha'olam from the world. That's the question Revolb is addressing. When we were first married, we were on the Chinuch staff of a camp one summer. Yechavit's favorite summer. Not her favorite summer. She was pregnant. Who are you pregnant with? Oh, you were a division. I was in Chinuch. It was very hot and very uncomfortable. We were very uncomfortable. We were pregnant. Anyway, so... So, um... No? Anyway, I was in the Chinuch staff and we were learning Pirkei Avos and I was learning with the 7th grade girls and I posed that question to them. What do you think this Mishnah means? And there was a 7th grade girl who had what remains for me the best insight into this Mishnah. I quoted Rabbeinu Yonah and the Rambam and we went through the different Perushim and she said, you know, I think Mina means that we're each a world into ourselves. We have our world, our self-esteem, our happiness, our, our confidence. And when a person lives with jealousy or lust, or always needing honor, it means our world is out of whack. Our self-esteem, our satisfaction, our happiness, our, our sense of confidence, that's what it means. I thought it was a brilliant insight, I think she's 100% right. right there's different interpretations, Rabbi Niona says it means, means you violated the purpose for which the world was created. You're removed from the world means God created the world to be selfless. If you're selfish, you violate the purpose of the world. There's beautiful interpretations, but for me still, the most profound is the one from that seventh grade girl. 
that we each live, and maybe that's because it was offered through the prism of a, of a seventh grade girl in life, that you know, if you live life and you're constantly jealous of others and you're trying to measure up to others, if you're constantly trying to have honor, you need to have the most friends, the most likes, the most reposts, if you're constantly living with taiva, with lust, and you're giving into it, your whole world is out of whack. You're never happy with who you are. You're never happy with your life. It leads to a life of, of anxiety and depression, a life of FOMO, and ultimately of mental illness. That's what it means, Motsina Sadam. You are removed from a world of stability and satisfaction and happiness and good health, and you enter a world of, of, of illness. So I asked Ravol, B'mahu osa olam sh'adam yotzeh mimenu. What is this world that a person is leaving? Harambam mevar shakavana la'olam ha'emuna. The Rambam says that these are three things that remove you from the world. What world? The world of Amuna. This is what the Rambam writes in the Perish Mishnah. If you're jealous of other people, then you're going to struggle with your faith in God. If you always need honor, you need to be the biggest person in the room, you need to suck the air out of the room, then you're not going to have room for God. If you're always giving in to your lust and your desire and you're pursuing with impulse and instinct whatever you want and need in that moment and you can't prioritize someone else's needs, you're not going to have a relationship with God. Says the Ramam, these are three character traits that if we don't conquer them and we don't manage them, then we can't have room for Hashem. By the way, I would add, you can't have room for Hashem, you can't have room for others. These three things that remove you from the world, remove you from the world of relationships. It removes you from the world of a relationship with God and it removes you from the world of a relationship with other people. If you're always envious, who wants to be friends with or married to or related to or work with someone who's always jealous? You always have to be careful. You always have to be worried. You can't share your good news. They're going to be jealous. You have to measure your words carefully. They're going to you know, gun for you because they want what you have. Who wants to be close? What kind of relationship do you have with someone jealous? What kind of relationship can you have with somebody who has a big ego, who always needs honor, where it's always all about them? And what kind of relationship can you have with someone who's taiva, who's giving in to their desires? So, the Ramam says it removes you from the world of relationships, human relationships, and we see that. We see the disintegration. We see relationships dissolving because people's ego gets in the way, their jealousy gets in the way, and their, their impulse for their desire, the temptation, their insatiable appetite gets in the way. But most of all, you can't have a relationship with Hashem. You can't have a relationship with people. At least you can see them. And talk to them, touch them, and have direct benefit from them. Hashem, it takes such an effort already to have a relationship with Him. These three character traits, they put obstacles, they block that ability to have that relationship. Just a question, a thought. After Noah, I mean, we continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over. Why didn't I? I would have seen Hashem give us a limited, eliminate all of the evil that caused the destruction of two generations. Yeah. And give us the free choice that we could make without all the other wrongs that caused us. So to repeat your conversation, basically, is if Hashem saw that the. Um, inclination towards these behaviors brought such a downfall of the world, why couldn't he get rid of them? Why couldn't he get rid of them? So there's several answers that you can give. Um, 
One of which is, first of all, the Gemara entertains this. And the Gemara tells a story, a metaphoric story, that the Yetzirah was so strong and the greatest Yetzirah that exists in the world, maybe with one gender more than others, but ultimately that undermines so much of the world is what Sigmund Freud, who, who had a pintle yid, was wrong when he said that the, the id and the sexual desire is, is what ultimately corrupts the world. So the Gemara entertains the fact that why didn't, we, why didn't Hashem eliminate that? Look how many bad decisions and look how many wars have been fought and look how much over these kinds of issues. And the Gemara says they eliminated the Yetzirah and you know what happened? The future of the world was threatened because there was no continuity. Because without that drive, for better or for worse, and whatever this would be politically correct in today's generation or not, but without that drive, animals weren't mating, men weren't giving up Sunday football to go on a date or put someone else ahead of themselves. Without that drive, there was no spirit of compromise or relationship or investment. That drive is what keeps the world going round. So they begged Hashem, put the drive back in, in the world so that the animal kingdom and the human kingdom will continue to procreate and there'll be a future, there'll be a continuity. So in that area, the Gemara tells that story. But even in the area of these others, because the very purpose of creation is to confront these temptations and to manage them. I would say to conquer them, but we don't ever conquer them. Like in the 12-step program, it teaches you can never feel you've conquered. That's when you're most vulnerable. It's a lifetime of managing. It's not a lifetime of conquering. And that's the attitude we have towards these behaviors is that you're never done. You can't ever wake up and say, I graduated. I went to Goldberg's Amunashir. We hit the 100th class. We had a great breakfast. I got a certificate. I graduated. I'll never be jealous again. I'm good. The moment you think that is like the alcoholic who walks into the bar to have one drink. It's over. It's over. It's a lifetime of managing. So we all have an inclination to different degrees. There's a spectrum. Some have a raging impulse to be jealous. And others, there's very little they're ever jealous of. But that jealousy, that jealousy spark is there. So there is a spectrum, but we all have within ourselves these inclinations. And the purpose for which God created us is to learn to manage them. What makes us uniquely human, what promotes the divine spirit and spark in us, is the effort to conquer them. It's what brings out the best. It's what makes us the most satisfied. It's what gives life the greatest meaning. If Hashem would eliminate them, we'd be pre-programmed robots. There'd be no purpose to existence. Just call it a day, pack it in, and that's it. The whole purpose of life. Right? The most satisfying thing in life are relationships that we have. And they take work and they take effort. And, and there are obstacles to them. So when we manage and conquer those obstacles, we get the satisfaction of a deeply meaningful, enriching relationship. And when we don't, relationships implode and they cause great pain. There's risk and reward in it, but we wouldn't have it any other way. Because without the enormous downside, there can't be the enormous upside. And we want that enormous upside. And it's true in marriage, and it's true in parenting, and it's true in friendships. There's enormous downside risk, but that's what's at stake in order to have the upside risk of those, those moments or experiences or a lifetime of the bliss of those relationships. So Hashem could have. He could have made life easy and said, I'm not going to make you like potato chips or chocolate cake and I'm not going to make you like gossip and I'm not going to ever make you have an inclination towards being jealous or anxious or angry. But then what would be the purpose? We'd be pre-programmed robots, in which case God doesn't need a world. The whole prerequisite to the world... The premise of the world is built on a platform, a stage of free will, so that when we express the free will, there's upside, there's downside, there's risk, there's reward, there's benefit and there's loss, there's closeness and there's a sense of distance. All of it results from the free will that we express and we result. If you would suspend that free will, if you would eliminate that free will, just pack it in. There's no point. There's no point to it whatsoever. 
Mavur Bidvarov, so Revolba points out, okay, so again, the Mishnah says there are three attitudes, behaviors, they remove you from the world. What does that mean? Rabbeinu Yonah, seventh grade girl in Camp Marasha, and now the Rambam. The Rambam says it removes you from the world of relationships. You can't live with Amuna if you have these three things. If you mavur bedvarav sheemuna tofeses makom mahusi bechay haadam atchin achshevas olamo shel haadam says Rav it's amazing. The Mishnah just says removes you from the world. It very ambiguously refers to the world. The Rambam comes along and says, "What is the world? It's the world of Amuna." So Rav notes for the Rambam, you know what defines your whole world. When you wake up in the morning till you go to sleep, what defines your quality of life, your world, who you are, is how much emuna you live with. That's what comes out from the Rambam's interpretation of this Mishnah. That what defines our happiness and our meaning and our sense of purpose, our capacity for satisfaction, the quality of our relationships, our whole world is informed and inspired and defined by our emuna. So lest you think that emuna is just one thing in your life. We saw this, we learned... Um, when we learned the Slanam Rebbe on Amunah, and he wondered why, according to some, it's not counted as one of the Tariq Mitzvahs Amunah. And he said, because it's not one mitzvah. It's not like I have a checklist of 613. Okay, I brushed my teeth, I washed Negel Vasra, I said Birchas HaShachar, I visited the sick, I comforted the mourner, I gave stuck, I learned Torah. Check, 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 check. Each of those are distinct, discrete units or acts. I did it, check, I'm done. Amunah is the foundation of everything I do. Would you wake up in the morning and say, okay, I breathed, check. You'd say breakfast, check. You're not going to say, I breathed, because breathing is the foundation of life. If you stop breathing, you're no longer alive. So emuna is not like breakfast. Emuna is not like davening. You don't put a check next to it. You know, I had an emuna thought. I'm good, check. Emuna for the day, done. Emuna is the air that we breathe. It informs and inspires everything from the red light and the traffic we're in, to the conversation that we're having, to the impulse to be anxious or angry or jealous of someone else, to how we interpret world events. Emuna is the air we breathe. It's the foundation of everything. And that's why the Rabbim interprets, what does it mean removes you from the world? La'olam ha'emuna, your world of emuna. You'd be suffocated. You're cutting off the oxygen. If you live with lust or jealousy or always seeking honor, you've cut off the oxygen supply to the emuna in your life. He looks, and if you look in footnote number one, he points out, Based on the Rambam's interpretation of the Mishnah, what it means is, there are three things that remove you from the world. From which world? The world of emuna. Now, if something removes you from the world, what does it mean? That the natural state is to be in the world. Right? The default, the natural state, is to have emuna. If you make your emunah compete with these three qualities, you've blocked emunah. But what's the natural state? To have emunah. These are active attitudes that remove you from the default or from what is the natural state. Revolba says this is a critically important point. We've seen this also. We've, we've learned a lot about emunah. We've been doing this for a few years now. We're up to 104, 105. I forgot what number <laughs> class we're up to. Almost time for a breakfast again. So um, we saw this also Rav Hanan Wasserman, if you recall. Because Rav Hanan points out that a bar mitzvah boy or a bat mitzvah girl turns 12 or 13, 
becomes obligated in mitzvahs. So I can understand, becomes obligated in mitzvahs, that I meet with every bar and bat mitzvah child, and I talk to them about davening, their parents don't have to chase them to do the right thing, and act the right way, say the right things, dress the right way, and so on. Because those are actions, I can understand that. But Rav Hanan, this is what he quotes, he says, you know, Aristotle struggled with evidence for God's existence. Philosophers throughout the millennia have struggled for evidence of God's existence. And this 12-year-old Pisher and this 13-year-old little smart aleck, they're supposed to know that God exists? We're supposed to obligate them in the mitzvah of Amunah at 12 or 13 when there are people who are 70 and 80 and 90 and they're still investigating and analyzing and researching and theorizing and trying to find God and the 12 and 13-year-olds are supposed to? It's a pretty Eisen uh, It's a good question. It's a great question. So Rav Hanan answers, it's only a good question if you think that you're learning emuna, But if you realize that you're born with emuna, and the whole mitzvah is don't mess it up, don't ruin it, don't get in the way, then it's not a question at all. Meaning, the two and the three and the four-year-old, you talk to them from when they're young about Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere. I made the big time, by the way, right before Pesach. Uncle Moishi posted, what did he post? Something I said a quote from a shir I gave. It's an endorsement from Uncle Moshi. That's like, mamish. It's the pinnacle of my career. I don't know. I should, I should retire from there. Uncle Moshi. So Uncle Moshi taught the world, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is everywhere. And we teach it to our children, one, two, and three, and four years old. And when they're five or six, they're still talking about Hashem, and they're asking questions about Hashem, and they're feeling Hashem, and they're thanking Hashem. And at eight, nine, and ten, maybe still, if you talk to them about Hashem, do we thank Hashem, and you see Hashem, and you know, you want Hashem. And then they get to 12 and 13 and they think becoming an adult means I no longer see Hashem. I now am supposed to have doubt and uncertainty. I'm now supposed to be skeptical and cynical because that's what they see from adults who struggle to see Hashem in their life. So it says Rabbi Hanan, the whole mitzvah of and the whole responsibility of parents is you don't have to teach Amunah to a child, just don't mess it up. When a child is born, they feel there's something bigger than themselves. You know why? Because they know I'm incapable, I'm totally dependent, I have a mommy and a daddy and I couldn't have anything without them. So it's very easy to take a leap from there that just like I need a mommy and a daddy, I wouldn't be born without them. They take care of me. I wouldn't have anything without them. So I have a big daddy too. I have my little daddy and I have a big daddy. And that's not a big leap for a child to take. But when the child grows and starts to feel more independent on their own, the greater a sense of independence, the more they say, I don't need my little daddy and I don't need my big daddy. So Rebbe says the mitzvah is not to teach Amun, the mitzvah is just get out of the way. Don't ruin it. Don't mess it up. And that's what Revolve is saying, the same thing you see in the Rambam here. The Rambam says, what does it mean, Motinas Adam in Olam? It means Olam Ha These three things remove you from the world of living with Emuna, which means it's removing you. You were there. How did you get there? That's where we all are from our childhood, unless someone messes it up. Kavana Satana, second paragraph. Kavana Satana, Eina al Hisorus Chad Pa'amishal Amidos Elu. The Tana, the author of this Mishnah, is not talking about trying to awaken within us one time about these three qualities. He's talking about a derechaim. This is a lifestyle discussion. This is, a, this is not, this is the difference between a diet and a lifestyle. Right? Everybody, I don't know when you get more gym memberships. Motzei Pesach or January 1st in the Orthodox community? I'm not sure when you have more people join the gym. So, this is the difference, right? So, Motzei Pesach, as soon as you, your mandatory chametz, you had your donut or your pizza, which, because you're starving eight days, you haven't had it, you have to have it. Everyone wakes up the next morning and they make an oath, a shvua, they take a neder. I swear, I will never eat again, ever. 
I feel so full, especially if you came from a hotel program and they wheeled you out in a real wheelbarrow to your car and you say, I will never, ever, ever, ever eat again. I'm done. Forget intermittent fasting. I'm just fasting. I'm just never eating again. So, good. I hear all that all the time. I tended to think that all the time. And then you say two weeks later, they dropped it. Why? Because diets don't last. You know what lasts is a change in your lifestyle. So if you change your lifestyle, the quantities you eat and what you eat and how often you eat and what the latest time you eat and you make change your habits, a lifestyle lasts, a diet never ever lasts. And the people of the mentality of a diet end up ballooning bigger than they were before their mass diet. And the people who change their lifestyle are able to sustain it for a lifetime. Says Ravoba that what's true in the physical realm is also true. I talk about it in my shir and whatever's on my mind. So anyway, Bessie said I lost weight, so I'm good. So the... Um, Ravoba says, whatever is true in the physical world is true in the spiritual world too. The Mishnah says, don't go on a diet from jealousy and from honor and from lust. Don't just go on a diet. Don't, well, it's the summertime. I go to a Pirkei Avos here. We did that Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, the 21st Mishnah of the fourth chapter that these three things were moving from the world. I did the Mishnah. I'm going on a diet for the next week. I won't have honor or I won't be lustful and I won't be jealous. If you go on a diet, it's going to come back. It's a derachayim. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. If it's motziyam min ha'olam, you want to be outside, you want a world, you want your world to implode. you want no relationships, no relationship with God, no relationship with the people around you, you want no equilibrium, you want no satisfaction, no self-esteem, no self-confidence. It's a lifestyle. Derachayim. Im nasa ba'atzmenu b'dika pnimis, if we're willing to do an internal analysis, yitachin shaniyah muftaim legalos adkama midos elu pu'ulos bonu, we would be shocked to find just how active these attitudes are within us. You know, we're able to point them out in our friends. That's very easy. It's easy to hold up a mirror to our friends. We spoke about this in the Parsha class. To our friends, we can hold up a mirror. But we all look in a funny mirror. We've all crafted funny mirrors in our lives where when we look into it, we look exactly the way we want to look. (laughs) So with other people, we have magnifying glass. For ourselves, we have funny mirrors that make us look exactly like we want to look. So, but if we'd actually look at our lives and we were honest with ourselves, we'd realize, you know what? We also have an ego. And we also have temptations. And we also get envious. We have to be willing to look inside ourselves. You can be the most righteous, the most religious person who learns all the time, who zugs to hill him all the time, who does chesed all the time. We know people who do chesed all the time. And why are they doing that chesed all the time? Because they want us to talk about how they do chesed all the time. So would it be better they don't do chesed? I'm not saying that. At least they're directing their pursuit of honor to help other people. We know people who learn Torah all the time. Why? They want to be known as the person who learns Torah all the time. We know people who, kinataiva and kavod, can even be directed or misdirected into noble pursuits. But they're noble means. So now we're up to the third paragraph. says, Ravobi, how is it? How is it? In what way do these three qualities remove us from the world of living with emunah? The answer is because envy consumes us with this world. With this world. Right? If you're always envious of what everyone else has, so you're consumed not by a world of meaning and purpose. You're consumed not by a world of transcendence. You're consumed not by a world of permanence and eternity. You're just consumed with this fleeting world of the here and now. Of the here and now. Which is so silly. And lust forces a person 
to always needing to satisfy their urge. And honor causes you to distort your um, relationships. Because in every relationship, it's all about how you can gain more honor, how you can more inflate your ego. So it says Revol, but these three things, at the core, at the center of all three, envy and lust and honor, at the core of all three is ego. And God has already said, there's not enough room in this world for me and you. Either you're here to lead a mission life to help repair the world in my image, or if you think you're here in this world to pursue the world in your image, says Hashem, I'll step back. No problem, I'm not going to compete with you. I won't compete. You're on your own. If we want Hashem to look over us in life, if we want to merit divine providence, if we want Him to secure us and, and keep us healthy and happy and provide the abundance of blessing we want, if we're inviting Him into our lives, we have to make room for Him. And if we make no room for Him, then He doesn't get angry, He doesn't strike us down, He just says, you're on your own. And now you're subject to the elements, and now you're just a statistic. So X number of people are going to get cancer, X number of people are going to get car accidents, X number of people are going to get struck by lightning, and if you don't want me to protect you and be involved in your life, no problem, I'll step back, and now you're just subject to the elements. We mentioned on Shabbos HaGadol, they say in the program, ego stands for edging God out. That's at the core of all three. Kina, Taiva, and Kavod is ego. And ego is edging God out. So we can either live lives in which we're making more room for Hashem, we're inviting Him in, in which case we merit even greater providence. Or we're living lives in which we're pushing Him out. And then we better be ready for whatever comes because we're on our own. We're on our own. When these forces rule over us, they close before us the pathway to Amuna. We can't even see straight. We also all know people like this, and maybe we've lived with this. Our judgment is impaired. Sometimes, you know, we were so caught up in our ego that we weren't thinking clearly about a certain situation. We were so caught up in our ego that we didn't end a fight that should have been ended or a fight that didn't even need to happen. We're so caught up in our ego that we didn't go someplace that we really ended up just hurting ourselves by not participating. We're so caught up in our ego that we damage relationships that we believe and that really matter around us. So what happens is the ego, and the ego expressed through envy or through lust or through honor, but the ego clouds our judgment. And when our judgment is clouded, it blocks paths. So here we talked about we're coming off of Pesach. We're coming off the last days. We all have Yamsuf in our lives. We all have these blockages. And we have these things that we feel. Some people, it's a health challenge. It's a Nachas challenge. It's a fertility challenge. It's a Parnassah challenge. It's people have challenges, real challenges in life, relationship challenges. And we ask Hashem, split our sea. Make us a path to walk through to get to the other side. So sometimes Hashem splits the sea. But we're so blind, we don't see the path that's open before us. Because our ego is so inflated, is so big, we're so consumed by jealousy, honor, or lust, that we don't even see the path that was really there all along. There was an out. There is the ability to improve our relationship or with our children or to, to aspire to greater parnasa or whatever it is that we want in life. Sometimes the path is carved for us. Hashem splits our sea, but we don't walk through. And why don't we walk through? Because we can't see it. And why can't we see it? Because our vision is clouded. And why is our vision blurred or clouded? Because our ego is in the way. Our ego's in the way. So this is a shir on Amuna, and every week we talk about Amuna. But what Revolb is telling us is, before you could talk about Amuna, you've got to remove the impediments to Amuna. And you'll never live with the life of Amuna if the impediments are blocking you. And the impediments of your ego, always needing honor, and always being driven by lust, and looking around at the world and being envious of other people, it leaves no room for Amuna. 
It sabotages our lives. It's self-destructive. It clouds our judgment. And it knocks God out. Ego, edging God out. It knocks him out of the equation. If you're missing the, uh, what's it called? Vilonot. The, the curtains, thank you. The window dressing. You know, so you're at your house and you came back and from, Wind- from, Wind- from Home Depot, from Lowe's, and you, know, you bought whatever and you hung it yourself. And okay, so you got the, but you went to your friend and some designer has seven layers and it's all electric and it closes and it's the shade and the shade behind the shade and the blackout shade and then the drop down blinds. And you say, wow, I need that. That's what they have. I need that. So now, what's going to happen? You're going to relentlessly pursue more money because you need what your neighbor has. And what happens when you relentlessly pursue money? Now you're going to give up the time you had with your family. You're going to give up your health. You're going to give up your learning Torah. Now you might cut corners and put yourself at risk and put yourself in danger. All because you need the window dressing, the curtains. You're going to be lying there at night and you're going to be on seven ambience and four, um, what are the other pills? What are the vitamins we give? Melatonins. And you're going to be lying there and you still can't fall asleep. You took three ambience and four melatonins and went through seven scotches and you can't fall asleep. Why? Because I need the curtains my neighbor has. I need them. They have them. I need them. I need that car. I need that size house. I need that clothing. Did you see that ring? I need that vacation. Do you see where they went for Pesach? I need that... Whatever the I need is, if life is driven by the I need, what do you give up? Your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your, your heart disease, your, your diabetes, you haven't slept, you're not breathing deeply and drawing enough oxygen to your lungs. What are you going to do? You're going to say, you know what? I calculated, I really can get the curtains. How? I opened 17 new credit cards. And I put it on the 17 new credit cards and I spread it across and I went into incredible debt. And now this is what consumes you. It's all you think about. And it drives every decision you make. A person who's living in that way is far away from a life of emunah. How could you have emunah in Hashem? How could you be happy or... How could you be satisfied and how could you have faith and how could you feel that Hashem is giving you if you don't have a sense of dayenu? That die. Kodesh Baruch looked at the world and he said, Misha Amar La'olam, die. He told the world, it's enough. And he told us, sing dayenu, die. What I have is enough. Die. It's enough. The satisfaction, the formula to happiness, it's in our hands. If we just sing dayenu, not only on Pesach, but we sing dayenu all year round. Die. Okay, so I've got the the, the paper fold down with the sticky thing on top, blinds. Put them up when I moved. I said I was going to get permanent shades. It's 72 years later, and I still have the paper fold down, huge sticky note blinds hanging on my window. Okay. Can the neighbor see in? No. So shine. I'm good. What else do I need? Dayeno, Ginek, it's enough. I have, uh, nobody could see in, and I can't see out, and it's enough. That's all I need. What else do I need? So if we live a life with Dayenu, we have room for Amuna. And if we live a life that is never Dayenu, then we've edged God out. Yes? Here's the question. First of all, you can get a hundred thousand dollar chandelier. 
The question is, why did you buy the $100,000 chandelier? This is the big question in life. You can have whatever you want, whatever you can afford, whatever is responsible, assuming you're allocating properly, you're charitable, you're generous with others, you're as generous with others as you are with yourself. Anyone can have the nicest things in the world. The question is, why do you have it? Do you have it because you value it, you appreciate the quality of it, you like it, and you don't care if anyone else ever sees it? Or do you have it because someone else has it? Meaning, do you crave it only because you saw someone else had it? Is that what drives it? I had the mashkiach in Karen Biavna, where I went to yeshiva, used to always say, he said, you'll never find a man who's upset he didn't get an aliyah on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Why? Because nobody gets an aliyah on Tuesday or Wednesday. Only Shabbos, Monday, and Thursday. Meaning, you're not upset you didn't get an aliyah. You're upset someone else got that aliyah. Do you know how long it's been since I got an aliyah? And he just got an aliyah three weeks ago. And that was his way of saying, so you're never upset on a Tuesday or Wednesday. It's not the aliyah. You don't want to say, Asher Bachabanu. It's not that you want an aliyah. You called up to the Torah so much. It's that why should that person get it? So that we can have the nicest things in life. The most expensive, the highest quality, the nicest things in life. The question is why we want it. Do we want it because someone else has it or do we want it because we value it? Again, we could talk about whether we should crave those things even internally and olam hazeh and so on and so forth. But I'm a believer that as long as you can live without something, you're entitled to have it. That's what to me... People are not going to be driven. People are not going to be doctors, lawyers, rabbis. You'll be driven to succeed because you want those things for yourself, not because you need them because others have them. Because if you want because what other people have, you'll never be happy. If you want because you're driven and motivated, that's a wonderful thing, drive. Drive is a great thing. I have a brother-in-law, I remember, when, when he was dating my sister and when, when he got married, and I was in a certain world at that time, in, in yeshiva, and in that world, these guys were all like competing. They wanted to, you'd go away for Shabbos or in the yeshiva, guys would flip their jacket over because they wanted everyone to see the tag in their jacket, you know? <laughs> had an Armani, had a this, had a that. You took off your shoes, everybody should see you had your shoes, you know? Like these young yeshiva guys were competing, who had the nicest, the clothing, the status, the this or that. And, and, and my brother-in-law came from a different world, and he actually had the nicest of everything, but I'd always notice he'd fold his tie not with the label on the outside but the inside he'd fold his jacket where nobody could see what he had he had his shoes and I talked to him about it and he said I don't care if anyone knows he was raised like this is the most quality these last the longest this is what fabric feels the best and I the contrast of those two worlds in that time which was which was very formative for me was really powerful there was a world of people who had no idea what the quality was you, you see this now with people who are going into debt to the world of smoking meats and buying single malt scotches and everyone every Jew is a wine connoisseur all of a sudden with a wine collection who really you know you could pour Manashevitz in a $400 bottle they wouldn't know the difference but they have to compete with when they have and they bring out and, and I'm not knocking it I enjoy the wine or the scotch or the meat believe me I enjoy it as much as the next person I'm not knocking it the question is why do you enjoy it do you enjoy it because you've acquired the taste and you see Hashem's beauty and you admire Hashem and you want to make a Bodhi prayer guffin and, and you connect to Hashem through it? Or do you enjoy it because when you came over, I got to show you the bottle I brought out. I have this bottle. I have this connect collection. I am a connoisseur. I compete. I have the most knowledge. So this, it's ego. It's ego. That's what Revolba is saying is enjoy the nicest things in life. Enjoy the finest things in life. Enjoy the most quality things in life. Make sure you can afford it. Make sure you can live without it. Again, the way I say it always is, you can only live with when you've proven you can live without. If you've come to the point that you need it, then you can't have it. 
You can only live with it when you prove it. When do we do that? Six months from now. It's the, the opposite holiday of the year. We leave our air-conditioned, comfortable, stable, beautifully decorated with wonderful curtains home, and we go outside to a flimsy, simple sukkah for a week to say, once a year for a week, I prove I can live without, now I can go back inside and I can live with. Right? If you always fly business class, once a year you should have to fly coach. Prove you can live without it. If you always stay in the suite, once a year you should stay in the stam room. If you always uh, drink the whatever, once a year. You can only live with when you've proven that you can live without it. It doesn't define you. So enjoy it. Enjoy the fight. You can afford it. You can prove you can live without. It's all to get you closer to Hashem and position you to be a better servant of Hashem in this world. Enjoy. Enjoy it all. But it should never be because... I need the honor, or I'm envious that my friend has it, or I'm driven, I have a lust and temptation for it. That's the difference. If you live life that first way, that you can live without it, and it doesn't define you, and it's not bringing you rooted into this world, and so on, then it actually brings you closer to Hashem, makes you a better person. If you do it for the other reasons, for ego, then you've edged God out. Okay, Mitzvah Hashem will continue next week. Thank you.